Arms. Arms? <laughs> Just arms. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. Legs. Fingers. <laughs> Toes. Toes. <laughs> Welcome to the Flight Attendant Podcast. I'm your host, B, and today joining me is my friend, Olivia. Hi. How are you? Good. And what made you become a flight attendant? The travel benefits, even though that's, like, never supposed to be your real answer, but it is. I mean, you have to fake it till you make it real. Exactly. Have you been anywhere? Um, I went to Lima. That's fun. It was fun until I got sort of stranded. Oh, no. (laughs) I had to buy a ticket to Canada. (laughs) Oh, no. Because there were no seats. (laughs) I mean, Anywhere. at least you went to Canada. Yeah, yeah. quick stop in Montreal. Oh, Canada. Um, Toronto. Or, yeah, I think it was Montreal. Nice. I like that airport. It's nice. Yeah, had a nice little three hours. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> great. Going from Peru to Canada back to the States. It was awful. You know, that's how, uh, well, not Peruvians, but since we have that embargo with Cuba, yeah. there's a ton of Cuban citizens in Quebec because they go from. Cuba to Canada since they can't come here. What's your biggest pet peeve about flying? Oh my god, I can only have one. (laughs) Your biggest one. They're all pretty big, I don't know. (laughs) Okay, what's your top three? Um, People that listen to things on the plane without headphones. Oh my gosh, yes. It is so entitled. (laughs) Um, People that don't listen. (laughs) Right. To very basic directions. Is it rude to say stupid people? No. Yeah, stupid people. Yeah, there's a difference between like, you know, calling someone stupid for no reason and then calling right. someone stupid for not per- being mean right not and that's not just passengers either like it that just, can be co-workers exactly too. it could be anybody what's your favorite thing about being a flight attendant not including the travel because mm-hmm. we already established that that's why you are here i guess um i like that no day is the same like mm-hmm. i don't get bored because every day that we work is different and yeah. every flight is different go to all the different places which i guess is sort of travel but do you have a favorite layover? Um, I really love San Diego layovers, but we don't really get them anymore. I know. It's a little bit tragic. I do miss that one. That was one of my faves because there's so much to do. Yeah. I feel like every single time I've asked somebody, San Diego is always at the top. And we don't get them anymore. <laughs> so that's tragic. <laughs> and uh, do you have a favorite route? If you don't, it's okay. Because they're kind of like all crappy right now. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, like, if you asked me pre-COVID, I would have an answer for that, but they're... Well, what's pre-COVID before? Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's hard to remember back yeah, then. Like, everything has did, changed. Did you work through COVID? Yeah. Yeah. There was one month that I took leave in... I don't think I took it till 2021. Yeah, me and too. And I was, like, so burnt out that I, I needed it. Yeah. I feel like by that point, everybody that worked through it needed a break. Yeah, with because we didn't have one mm-hmm. at all and it was brutal yeah I, t- I didn't take I took a leave one month and then for some reason my because we were you know since we were able to do unemployment as mm-hmm. well 
my unemployment didn't go through and I was like yeah I can't do this I don't have enough savings <laughs> so then I did it I went back the next month and then the following month after that uh, I got a, a notification from my bank that said your money is in your bank account and I thought somebody had like hacked into my account and then I went to look and it was just like from like two months before oh my god <laughs> and I was like I could have taken it I guess but no yeah that gets messy you don't want to risk it no um so, yeah. Hey, 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 this is Matthew Thomas from Super Cool Radio, and you are listening to the Flight Attendant Podcast. Well, we're going to go through some news, and you're going to join us for today. What's the tea for today? So, there was a Virgin Australia flight attendant accused of extremely inappropriate anti-mask rant. So, a passenger has accused a flight attendant of extremely inappropriate behavior, claiming they delivered an out and an, that they delivered out an anti-maskerant during his Virgin Australia flight from Brisbane to Sydney. Brisbane-based lawyer Eddie Sinot, Sinot? It's S-Y-N-O-T. That guy. That guy tweeted on June 30th that the flight's crew captain was complaining to passengers... I'm sorry, but that's not the flight attendant. Uh. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> complaining to the passengers about federal government mask mandate and encouraging passengers to complain to the federal government. The tweet went on. This is a close with this is a close space with limited circulations and COVID remains a serious threat. So then he tweeted, extremely inappropriate at Virgin Australia that your crew captain on VA 916-BNE2-SYD is complaining to passengers about the federal government mask mandate, encouraging passengers to complain to the federal government. This is a close space with limited circulation and COVID remains a serious threat. Then Virgin Australia replied in another tweet, hi, Eddie, we're terribly sorry to hear this. The health and safety of everyone on board is always our number one priority, and for this reason, we strongly encourage all guests to comply with health orders and wear face masks. In response, Virgin, so that's, that was the response that Virgin said. And then it also said, they also said, we also require our cabin crew to wear face masks while working on board the aircraft. We have sent a DM to confirm the date of your flight so we can investigate this matter further. Sinot's words were retweeted nearly 1,000 times and received more than 4,800 likes. Many Twitter users responded with their own experiences of Virgin Australia crew members failing to enforce mask mandates on flights. Masks are no longer required to be worn in Australian airports as of June 17, but are still mandatory on domestic flights within Australia. Qantas recently lifted its mask requirements for some international flights, and on July 1st, Sinot followed up his original tweet to clarify that he does not wish anyone to be punished but if you didn't want anyone to be punished then why are you complaining <laughs> um, and was disappointed by the responses uh, by other, they were, by responses other Twitter users to that effect rather he said that this concern is to highlight and ensure, mes ensure message, messaging is enforced COVID remains a serious threat my toddler is unvaccinated my wife pregnant and many extended family are in at increased risk and it's not a joke so i don't i have a lot of thoughts on this actually please do Go okay ahead. so i feel like first we need to address the fact that this was an australian-based airline because this happening is so normal for us here especially like from our captains like right. we are used to hearing 
this bullshit all the time. All the time. It's nothing new. And we just kind of take the brunt of it. So I think it's interesting that it, like, turned into this whole big thing over there because, like, you know, they handled COVID semi-reasonably. Right. Um, and had a handle on it. So this is a big deal to them. And this is like, oh, it's, it's a Tuesday. Right. Whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> this was actually just five hours to go. Uh, five, oh, wow. Five hours to go. And this is from The Independent. Well, um, that's the first part. And I think also there was the fact that it was like a mis- mis- what? <laughs> misleading, <laughs> misleading um, headline. headline, thank you, by saying it was a flight attendant because yeah, it clearly was not. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. <laughs> but no, yeah. So, yeah, we, we we've gone through this for two years. And it's just easier to not fight it. Like, you just let them do at, their thing. At this point, it's like, I've already told people. And then even with the captains, you really can't say anything to them because they don't get it. They yeah. feel like they're God. Yeah, the God complex is so real. I mean, I've had so many captains that even when they're, like, in the cabin, deadheading or whatever, and they're not wearing their mask properly, like, back when we had to enforce it. And mm-hmm. it just makes our job so much harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's yeah. frustrating. But at the same time, like, it's not that it's hard to sympathize, but it's, like, welcome to our world kind of thing. Right. Like, I feel like it's not that big of a deal. Right. Like his argument is not wrong. It's not wrong. Not wrong at all. I mean, you still wear your mask on the plane. Yeah. I've been wearing... Passengers. Me too. I, like, wear it when I'm in the aisle or, mm-hmm. if like, I'm in a high-trafficked area. Exactly. But it's it's stupid that we still, two years later, we still, we're still going through this. Right. And it's because it was handled so poorly in the beginning. Like I have a friend that lives in New Zealand and she came to the States like end of last summer ish, beginning of fall. And it was the first time she had to buy a mask because they didn't have to do that in New Zealand right? because they handled it appropriately. And she was like, yeah, I had to get one to come here. And I was like, what do you mean? You haven't had a mask for two years. Like what? And I could not wrap my brain around that. And yeah, that's insane. Well, let's move on to something more light. Okay, good. So this is from ABC News. And the we are going to talk about the uh, ADC... <laughs> it's got to be that kind of day. Uh, the 86-year-old woman who is the longest-serving flight attendant, and she's in the, she's now in the Guinness World Book of World Records. There we go. There it is. So at 86 years old, American Airlines flight attendant Betty, is it Betty or Bet? I think it's Betty, Betty, right? Betty Nash is the oldest and longest serving flight attendant in the world, according to the Guinness World Records. Nash started flying back in 1957 and will celebrate 65 years in the in flight this fall. She chose, she can choose any route she wants, and for most of her career, she has been loyal to the New York, Washington, Boston shuttle. Nash prefers this route because she says it allows her to be home every night with her handicapped son, who can who she continues to care, for, who she continues to care for to this day. When she first, <laughs> what is wrong with me? It's that one hour of sleep. I know, right? So when we first started flying, she says passengers bought life insurance from a vending machine before boarding the air and the airline would check on her at home to ensure she wasn't living with a man because flight attendants had to be single. The airline also weighed, be- weighed her before her shifts and she could, su- and could suspend her if she gained too much weight. She said you only had to be a certain, you had to be a certain height. You had to be a certain weight. It used to be horrible. You put on a few pounds and you had to keep weighing yourself. And then if you stay that way, they would take you off the payroll. 
That's insane. I don't know if I could. Oh my god, it's absolutely whack. I'm just saving my right my two cents until the end. <laughs> Nash, uh, this is all what Nash said during a during a flight in 2017 with an ABC affiliate. So the Nash started flying with Eastern Airlines and through a number of mergers, including Donald Trump's airline in the late 1980s, <laughs> ended up at American Airlines. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> in the early days, passengers paid the flight attendant when they boarded. Nash says her early flights early flights cost twelve dollars between New York and Washington. I mean, if you look at some of all the ultra low cost carriers, that's how much a flight would cost you right now, or not anymore, but pre COVID. I don't know about twelve. Well, no, I we feel like that's low. Well, you know the um, airline had like penny flights. Some airlines. Yeah. And that was pre COVID. I mean, I don't know now. We used to ha- we used to pass out cigarettes and matches on the flight, and then after the meal service, service I would go around with Kents and Marlboros. She told WJLA on her 60th anniversary. Boop. Nash still attends regular flight attendant training for Federal Aviation Administration rules. That's a long career. Do you, ex- do you expect yourself to be here that long? God, I hope not. <laughs> like I don't think that that is. That's not what you want to do. No. If you weren't flying, what else would you be doing? I don't know. Um, yeah, I really don't know. I think that's why, like, even though the industry has been so difficult, like, past three years, uh, I haven't left because I don't know what else I would necessarily want to be doing. Because um, even though there's a lot that we dislike, it's still... We get used to the routine of our job and, like, it still works for us. Right. I guess. So, I don't know. I got it. So, any... Do you have any comments on... Would love to talk to Betty about her experience in, like, early flight attendant days because, like, all of the misogynistic nonsense would, like, love to get her take on. I mean... Obviously, none of it's acceptable. Right. any decade, but... Well, I mean, you, you know, in the early episodes of the podcast, we had... We had one where it said, like, where it said that flight attendants would buff their shoes out, you know, and they would swat the flies because back then, I guess, they could roll down the windows. Jesus. And then there's that part and like the smoking and like I just want to know who thought that was a good idea. Well, I guess because by anyone's standards. I mean, at the beginning, up, you know, know. they didn't know the risks, so I get right. it. And like every aviation rule that exists exists because something bad happened. Right. However, just, you know, like, fires in the sky seem like a bad idea. Oh, yeah, for sure. And just <laughs> throwing that out there. Right. So this one is from Paddle Your Own Canoe. And it's an airline was forced to delay hundreds of flights after cabin crew pulled sickies to attend recruitment event for a rival airline. Wait, I'm sorry. Say that one more time. <laughs> so let me read this article. Okay. An Indian airline was forced to delay hundreds of flights on Saturday, and insiders claimed the reason behind the disruption was because cabin crew pulled sicky, so they called out sick, so they could attend a massive recruitment event being held by a rival airline. (laughs) Okay, that sounds like something that would also happen here. (laughs) So low-cost Indian airline Indigo operated just 45 cents. Oh, nope. Nope. (laughs) 
So the low-cost Indian airline Indigo operated just 45% of its domestic flights on time on Saturday after the alleged mass sick out wrecked havoc with the carrier's schedule. The cabin crew are to believe to have attended a recruitment event held by Air India, which is in the middle of a massive hiring blitz. I feel like every single airline is hiring right now, not just here in the States, yeah. like just all across the world. India's direct Directorate of Civil Aviation has said it will open an investigation to get to the bottom of the allegations. So what which, are they investigating? I'm assuming, I don't know. We'll like see. What? Let's see. Local media outlet report that Air India was running a, the second phase of a huge flight attendant recruitment drive on Saturday, and the flag carrier has recently been saved from bankruptcy by the Tata Group conglomerate, and billions of rupees are being pumped into the airline as part of, of a long overdue turnaround project. The uh, Tata Group, I don't know if that's what it is said to be in talks with both Airbus. Airbus? Airbus. <laughs> They're boss now. Did you know that? <laughs> Airbus and Boeing for a massive order of single aisle aircraft totaling as many as 300 new jets. The airline is also rumored to be nearing a deal with Airbus for a 20 state of the art A350 wide body aircraft with plans of food. <laughs> 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 with, plan, with plans of a, to significantly increase its fleet size, Air India is on the hunt for a new cabin crew. Despite plans to make Air India far more efficient, cabin crew at the airline are still on good wages compared to many of their industry peers. Indigo has declined to comment on the allegation. So I think it's maybe they don't want to take responsibility for the call-outs or... But they, honestly, like... Care. See, I'm very, I'm very pro sick out because we can't, at least here, we can't strike. Right. Which takes a lot of our power as employees away. Right. So we can just get repeatedly abused by the company and there's not a whole lot we can do about it. Right. But a sick out's one thing that we can do. So if whatever airline they were interviewing for offers them a better quality of life, go for it. Right. Exactly. Proud would, of you. Good would, job. Would you call out to go for another one? I mean, if there was a better airline right now, but we're all kind of struggling. <laughs> we are kind of struggling. I might as well keep my seniority. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, somebody was like, I don't, I don't understand. Some, one of my friends sent me a message a while back, and he was like, hey, so I have an interview with your airline. What do you, like, what do you recommend? And I was like, I honestly, right now, would just stay put. And he goes like, well, yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm about three years away from, like, being able to retire at, at my airline. So I was like, Why okay. I was like, I, I'm like, honestly, things are not great here. I'm sure they're not great there. But if you're that close to retiring with your full benefits, right. just stay there and then apply to another airline if you need something new. Yeah, no. But, like, keep those benefits and that seniority. Absolutely. All right. And this is our last news for today. Okay. A scheduling glitch temporarily canceled 1000 Thousands of American Airlines flights. I saw this this morning. I know, right? Uh, so an American Airlines says it's restored most of the affected flights after a technical glitch in the company's scheduling system reportedly forced the airline to drop thousands of trips this month. More than 12,000 flights between Sunday and the end of July were wiped out on Friday night because they lacked either a captain, first officer, or both. After pilots had changed their assigned trips, the Allied Pilots Association 
the union that represents American airline pilots told at CNBC. American Airlines said in an email statement that it had already restored the vast majority of the affected trips and do not anticipate any operational impact because of this issue, including the 4th of July weekend, or July 4th weekend. A spokesperson for American couldn't provide details of how many flights were either dropped or restored. American Airlines confirmed the technical issue, its pilot trip trading system, the platform allows pilots to request to add, drop, and swap certain trips, spokesperson Matt Miller said in an email. As a result of this technical glitch, certain trip trading transactions were able to be processed when it shouldn't have been permitted, the airline said. The airline did not respond to a follow-up question about whether the technical issue had been fixed. A similar scheduling snafu in 2017 threatened the cancellation of 15,000 flights that December. The glitch added to the busy holiday travel, cha travel chaos. Travelers were already facing hundreds of canceled flights and a few thousands delay on Friday, just as they had in recent weeks. Experts attribute the wave of flight disruptions to a short supply of pilots and air traffic controllers in addition to high demand. American pilots have been pushing their employer to address aviators punishing schedules during contract negotiations. Delta and Southwest Airlines pilots have picketed in recent weeks for higher pay and better schedules. Earlier this week, Dennis Tager, a pilot with American Airlines and the Communications Committee Chairman for the Allied Pilots Association, blamed the recent surge in flight cancellations on airline sports scheduling practices as salaries oversell tickets. Nope. As airlines oversell tickets for some trips. Tajer suggested in an interview with CNBC that some pilots are being overworked and others are being underworked. And that's it. So, I'm sorry, but they get paid like hundreds of dollars an hour. Uh, yeah, I struggle with the they're not getting paid enough. I mean, maybe we should all deserve higher pay, but like in comparison to what we get paid, like I don't feel sorry for them. In that no, me either. I mean, the overworked part can relate. Sure. Yeah. Again, though, they're a lot more protected than we are. So... Yeah. I only feel minimum, minimally bad, but I think we should all have better working conditions. Oh, for sure. As an entire industry. Um, but I think they're a lot more likely to get those provisions. Than we are. Than we are. Ever. I mean, they say that we know that flight attendants and cabin crew are more dispensable than pilots. And it is true. There are less pilots than flight attendants. But at the same time, you can board if the pilots aren't on board. Right. You cannot board if there is no enough flight attendants. Right. And that boils down to, like... The way that we're trained, I think, because they were replaceable because they can pump fresh flight hands out of training right. so much faster than they can pilots. They can't right. do that. That's not feasible. So, um, but I think that it's... So, from what I understand in the article, um, it's kind of like similar to our trip trade system. Right. And they all got approved and they shouldn't have. When they said restored, does that mean they just like... I think they were like putting... Gave them back. Putting trips back on there. But I did see there was an email from the associate, the Airline Pilots Association that um, they said if you were able to drop, you were able to drop and yeah. you could like enjoy I mean, your time valid. off. Exactly. I so, would have Yeah. And I think like that's what the union was saying. So we'll see, how, I guess, how it progresses through the end of the month, you know. Hmm. July is one of the busiest holidays, or not holidays, but like traveling months because everybody's going back to school in August or, you know, late August or September. Yay, July. Hey.
Okay, we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll be right back with the rest. Hey there, this is Bobby with the Rock Guys Podcast, and you are listening to the Flight Attendants Podcast. Your pre-flight requisite. 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 And welcome back. So we talked about before starting this episode that you are really passionate about safety yeah yeah i'm a safety nerd yeah which is cool Mm -hmm. i mean me too and then we talked about like what you want to talk about so we decided to do evacuation emergency evacuations so i don't know if you remember listening to episode three i believe we talked about mental health and in that episode we talked about the first ever evacuation which was um hendrik cubis and he was the first flight attendant in history when he saved passengers on the German airline, uh, the lag. And then he's also famous for serving Zeppelin passengers and was in the Hin- in Hindersburg dining room when the ship burst into flame at Lake Hurst, New Jersey on May 6, 1937. He encouraged passengers and crew to jump from the windows and then he jumped himself to, um, to safety himself. So he was the first person to initiate a... Um, Evacuation. Well, that's cool. So if you want to listen more on that, you can go back and listen. I think it's episode three, and we talk about mental health. Um, but I did find some other interesting facts about evacuating an aircraft. So gone in 60 seconds, the evolution of the airplane evacuation slide. This is from CNN. Just a quick edit. The name of the article is Gone in 90 Seconds. I was just projecting my love of the movie. So arms draw, um, arm, what is going on with me today? Arms, arms, (laughs) just arms. (laughs) I'm done, I'm done. Legs. Fingers. Toes. Titties. Okay, arm doors and cross check. Almost all airlines. <laughs> that's what you got arms from. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> my <laughs> eyeballs. <laughs> okay, almost all airline passengers have heard that instruction given by flight attendants over the PA system just before the plane leaves the terminal gate. For most travelers, it's part of the pre-flight ritual that often fades into the background, much like the safety briefing. But that command is integral to the safety of the passengers and crew, preparing a critical device for immediate evacuation activation. Before the, we continue, can yeah, I interrupt for a second for a funny story? Yeah, yeah. So I was flying mid cabin, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm doors for departure. Can right. I check all call, and we proceed with the all call, and you know, we say what your doors are. Right. Armed and cross checked. Right. Cabin secure. Right. Go to do demo. I come back to my jump seat mid cabin, and the people in my exit row were cool. They were friendly. They weren't weird, whatever. And I sit down, and they they both kind of like look at each other. They weren't traveling together, and they like lean forward and they're like, "Did you say you were scared?" And I was like, "I'm sorry, what?" And they're like, "We heard you on the phone, and you said you were scared. Should we be scared?" And I was like, "I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about." And I was like trying to think, like, what the hell did they hear? And one of them was a non-member, so I was, like, really confused, but it was, he was, like, on somebody's benefits, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, I'm like, I don't know. What did I say? I was like, was it Cabin's Cure? Like, did that sound like I'm scared? They're like, no, we both heard it. 
long story short, we had to go back to the gate before takeoff. Uh, so that obviously had to do the all call again. And they both listened at the time. And I hung up the phone and they were like, that is what you said. It was, in fact, cabin, cabin secure. <laughs> You're not scared. I was like, I wasn't lying. And it was the strangest interaction ever. That's all. I mean, that's funny. Carry on. <laughs> I, you know how we have to brace for landing. Yeah. I was bracing. This is pre-COVID. So, like. I really can't do anything about my face. Wait, you know, like, and then the person in front of me was like, are you scared of flying? <laughs> and I was like, no. She was like, oh, because, like, you have your hands under your, under your legs, and you're, I'm like, you're looking up. And I was like, no, this is how to brace for a potential emergency impact. So, you know, and she's like, oh, she's like, I just thought you were scared. And I was like, oh, my gosh, poor thing. She's scared of flying. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> in so in the case in the case of an emergency on the ground inflatable slides deploy from the doors and the wing exits giving its passengers a quick way to escape from an aircraft it's a technology that has its roots at the dawn of the jet age in the 1950s but was preceded by a much simpler escape solution do you want to know what they were i don't know do just I? guess take a guess ropes <laughs> ropes yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we'll go we'll get into that in a second i'm sorry but like we struggle enough getting past to listen to us during an evacuation right. like you think i'm gonna be able to teach them how to slide down a rope like a goddamn fireman like <laughs> what <laughs> all drop and, like, just fall flat on okay. the concrete 20 feet you're good you're, you're good. good just roll away roll away <laughs> your legs don't work anymore i get it just roll Away tuck from the flames. Tuck and roll. Tuck and roll. Stop, drop, and roll like the fireman. Keep going with the fireman. So the very first passenger land planes all share the, fir- the common trait, a, ta- a tail wheel. These early aircraft from Ford F- Fokker? F-O-K-K-E-R. Fokker. Fokker. Yeah. And the Havilland... And then Douglas and Boeing usually had a door near the tail of the plane close to the ground. Passengers climbed a few steps and then headed uphill to their seats. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm imagining like an actual hill <laughs> inside of the plane. <laughs> With the cabin, cabin angled upwards towards the cockpit, if an evacuation was ordered by the captain, the passengers could exit using the main entry door, which is at the back of the plane. Oh, fuck the guys in the front. <laughs> Good luck. So if you wanted to be in first class, you're SOL. <laughs> Comes at a price. <laughs> so as commercial planes got bigger, the tailwheel configuration became unwieldy for larger passenger and cargo loads. Nose wheel equipped aircraft were introduced, leveling the cabin on the ground, but requiring a long flight of stairs to access the entry doors. We have our air stairs, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> In an emergency, it was unlikely that passengers could safely jump from the cabin <laughs> to the ground. So a crude solution was developed. The first evacuation method on an, air- on an aircraft was ropes with knots on them to get people out of the doors. And that was long before slides existed, says Tony Pope, chief engineer of evacuation systems for Collins Airspace. Then they came up with flat pieces of fabric that were stretched between two arms that had to be held to let people slide down. They called them chutes, and we still call our slides chutes today. No, we don't. 
Well, I think them. Oh, okay. Like that, that company. Those fabric shoots evolved into today's sophisticated slides, which are inflated by a compact compressed gas cylinder. But knotted ro- ropes can still be found on the plane flight decks. <laughs> How long is the flight deck rope? <laughs> you tell me. 17 feet. It says 18, but it's 17 feet. But it does say 18, right? Yep. So what? Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't what know. What is that mystery foot? I have no idea. Don't tell me that. Okay. Never continue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the noted, the knotted rope. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. You might have to take over the reading. No. <laughs> it's gonna get worse. <laughs> But knotted ropes can still be found on the plane decks, available for pilots if they need to evacuate through the cockpit windows or emergency hatch. So six feet and higher. Collins Aerospace and its predecessor company, Goodrich, has designed and manufactured inflatable slides for decades going back to the 1960s, Boeing 747, the queen of the skies. While materials and manufacturing techniques have naturally evolved since the first slides were introduced, the basic concept... The basic concept and design of today's evacuation slides hasn't changed much. Picture a ladder made of inflatable tubes with fabric that spans between the tubes. <laughs> I mean, we all know what a slide looks like, right? I don't need to read this. I whole. don't think a slide looks like a ladder, though. Like, <laughs> what? Now, those rungs in the middle, those inflatable tubes may be intended to keep the slide tubes apart and might not touch the fabric that spans them. What? <laughs> you have a head-end tube that interface with the aircraft and a toe-end tube that interface with the ground. Jump slide, jump slide, that's all I got. When a slide is designed, carefully consideration must be given to the procedure used to fold it into its enclosed enclosure on, in the aircraft, a process that's akin to making a parachute. When we do a new slide development program, we have a very skilled team of technicians that have packed most of their career. We have, <laughs> we have a very skilled team of technicians that have packed most of their career. We lean on them to develop the packing schemes and we write detailed sets of instructions. I wonder if, because I've heard like from our airline that it's like $10,000 to repack a slide if it gets blown. Oh, I thought it was way more than that. I was told like hundreds of thousands. Well, maybe that's, yeah. Maybe it'll say, let's let's see what this is. The US Federal Aviation Administration has developed a set of requirements for slides, excuse me, which have changed over time as emergency deployments have occurred, giving the regulations real-life incidents as a reference. These specifications cover all aspects of the design, including strength, flammability, and heat resistance of the fabric emergency emergency lighting and the maximum maximum inflation time between six and ten seconds, depending on the location of the slide. Ten seconds? That's like... Really long. Yes. Yeah, that's a really long time. They must deploy properly in all weather conditions as cold as negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit and as hot as 160 degrees Fahrenheit and rainfall up to one inch an hour and uh, and with 25 knot winds hitting the slide from a 45 degree angles around the plane. 
passenger aircraft with a door still over six feet above the ground must be equipped with a slide and a long and long range jets generally carry slides with integrated life rafts so that's like ours mm -hmm. and then we have the additional ones for the so no more ladders no more we're ladders. Done ladders we're done okay good um so that's part of it then we have from aviation week actually we'll read this one last because that one's just some fun facts about slides well while we're talking about slides um tell me when we were talking about betty we uh, mentioned yeah. our annual recurrent training mm -hmm. and it makes me so sad every year that we don't get to do slides again i know that's at recurrent because that's probably the funnest part of initial that slide is so fun. I mean, hopefully no one ever has to use it in real life, but like you zoom off that thing. You do. Like nobody's business. You sit and slide. No, you don't. Not unless you have a baby man. It's jump and slide. I'm going to sit and slide. Jump. I don't think you want to see this jump and slide. I'm going to roll off the side of the slide. I just parrot the instructions that... I mean, at the end of the day, in yeah, an evacuation, I'm just going to tell everybody to get the fuck out. Yeah, there's going to be so many bad words oh, yeah. in an evacuation, and I don't care. <laughs> Especially because these fuckers are going to try to bring all their bags. Right. And I'm not having any of that. Okay, so, as you and I know, uh -huh. we have to evacuate an aircraft in 90 seconds. Or less. Or less. I mean, but that's the... But did you know that there's a reason for that? probably guess there was but couldn't tell you what it is <laughs> so as part of testing of a new aircraft the manufacturer must demonstrate that all passengers can be evacuated within 90 seconds in an emergency if it doesn't comply the aviation authorities won't approve its safety certification but where does the 90 second time limit come from so post crash fires in the early 1960s research was conducted into the cause and development of fires after an aircraft crash in April 1964, the FAA crash-tested a Douglas DC-7 transport plane and in September of the same year, followed up with a crash test of a Lockhead L-1649. These tests aimed to simulate real crashes that, that had happened with resulting fatalities. High-speed cameras were set up inside the aircraft and around the plane, I'm sorry, and around the, the crash site to record the effects of the impacts on the planes and the dummy pilots and passengers. The wrecked fuselage of the Lockhead was later used in evacuation tests to examine post-crash servability. Which, just FYI, the safest part of a plane. The wings. Nope. No? No. That's a myth? Yeah, it's all the way to the back. Depending, well actually, let me just say, depending on how it's going to impact on the yeah. ground, it's more towards the back in the middle of so like the middle seat in the back of the plane hmm. because as if like if you were impact as a straight on collision um, it impacts it it reduces the the inertia. impact towards the, yeah the inertia yeah. towards the back of the plane so you have more probability of surviving if you're at the back of the plane huh i could have sworn in training they told us it was the wings they did but <laughs> okay but, so i'm not crazy no but Mythbusters and there was like another um documentary that i watched a few years back they yeah they did that they did a research thing huh. at the same time the faa initi initiated research into the prevention of two types of post-crash fires the first was the fireball 
where escape fuel creates a mist that ignites and overcomes the plane when it comes to the rest. The other was flashover in which the inside of the plane crash uh, reaches a high enough temperature to ignite instantly. For lives to be saved after a crash, a fireball must be prevented and the cabin must remain habitable long enough to evacuate the passengers. During the research, it was found that a structurally sound cabin engulfed in flames remained habitable for around two minutes. Beyond that, the heat inside becomes so intense that a flashover condition develops. The flashover point was deemed to be the time available for evacuation. As a result of the findings, the FAA initially proposed the evacuation time of two minutes. Further analysis of the test and additional research led the FAA to reduce the time to 90 seconds. So that makes sense. Hmm. And that's why we have to evacuate in 90 seconds. That's something I did not know. So improvised safety measures. The crash tests initiated by the FAA resulted in many improvements to the safety of the aircraft. The design of the fuel tanks was improvised to tolerate higher impacts and reduce the fire risks. Other requirements included evacuation slides deployable in 10 seconds, improved interior lighting, better distribution of exits, extra emergency exits, self-extinguishing interior materials, and the protection of electric cables and fuel lines. How realistic are evacuation tests? Aircraft manufacturers must conduct a full-scale emergency evacuation demonstration and make them as realistic as possible. The test is carried out with the plane's maximum occupancy with a full crew and a representative mix of passengers. Dolls are used to simulate children. Only half the exits are used and baggage, pillows, etc. are strewn in the aisles to simulate debris. While the passengers know why they are there, they are not told the evacuation plan, which doors and slides will be used, or when the demonstration will start. I would like to be a part of this. I would love to be a part of this, and I'm also curious, though, if, like, they perform this test with people who are compliant, because I feel like that impacts the results greatly. Like, I get that it says there's fake baggage in the aisle and whatever, but, like, are they listening to what you're yelling at you? Because we don't get that luxury. We don't get that, no. I think, I think that, you know, since they tell them why they're there, but not the evacuation plan, that creates the chaos. Because some of them will be listening, and some of them will just be following. Huh. It'll be, it'll be interesting to, like, see an actual yeah. test. So in 2006, an Airbus A380 completed its passenger evacuation trial, paving the way for its certification. In the demonstration, 873 people successfully left the aircraft and reached the ground inside the 90-second limit. It was the most stringent evacuation ever conducted in the first on a two-deck passenger aircraft. The test was also carried out in the darkness. I think I actually saw this video because, yeah, yeah and it wasn't, it wasn't in complete darkness. It was like, um, there was like flashes of lights mm -hmm. every now and then, like kind of creating like the moon or, you know, like the, yeah, the moon lighting at night. Uh, the tests are conducted to demonstrate that the aircraft can be evacuated in the minimum time prescribed by the authorities. However, the participant in the trials know that their lives aren't in danger. What, can, what they can't factor is in the behavior of people in real-life panic situation. That part. Yeah. In a life-threatening emergency, not everyone will act appropriately. So, That's the understatement yeah. of the year. So this is from Simple Flying. I, have you ever had an emergency um, we had an emergency landing, but not an evacuation. Nice. And I wasn't actively working. I was non-revving, but it was going home. So, like, I knew the crew. Right. So I was in on it. So, like, I kicked my heels off just in case. Mm -hmm. So I've never had an emergency evacuation, but I've had an emergency landing declared. 
And surprisingly for mine, the captain came on the PA and he told, you know, the people what was going on, which wasn't anything super bad. It was basically this when I was flying in the regionals and basically the tail of uh, the wing, the wing, um, I can't even think of the word right now. The wing flaps got mm-hmm. stuck at a weird angle to which meant they can't, wouldn't, so it wouldn't be able to go up. So the angle that it was on, we would have to land faster than normal. Right. And that was pretty much the, emer- the extent of the emergency. But the captain wanted me to make sure that nothing sharp was out, that, you know, everybody had their glasses off, that there wasn't anything that could be flying in case, you know, the worst could happen. And everybody complied. But that's only, that's, that was like 35 people, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. can't, I can't account for 200 and whatever we have on the plane. Yeah. So here's some interesting facts about slides. James F. Foyle invented the first aircraft slide, submitted and submitted his patent for the inflatable escape chute in 1954. Boyle is perhaps most well known for inventing the world War two life vest the may west nickname after the buxom actress of that era the slides were manufactured by air cruisers not now known as zodiac aero evacuation systems which continues to produce inflatable aircraft evacuation slides and rafts so the faa requires slides on all aircraft doors where the floor is more than six feet or more than six feet off the ground, um, thus excluding the Embraer ARJ 145 family and the Fokker 50 family aircraft. Most lights also serve as a raft if the emergency landing occurs over water. When you're briefing your exit rows and we have the windows instead of the doors, mm-hmm. do you tell them not to open up those doors over water? No. I always do. I mean, that would make sense. I always tell them. I was, but our I was, briefing is verbatim, and that's not in it, so. I always tell them, because I don't usually go by the verbatim. Because <gasps> I know, but it's like, but I give them more information. Yeah. Because I'm like, don't open, don't open these over water, and don't open these unless you're told to do so, because you, we don't want to, like, unwanted evacuation. You're not wrong, but also, if they're looking at the information card, like, they should be. They, but they're not. You know, they're not. Well, you're in my yeah. row, so you really should be. Yeah. More than anyone else. You're really the only ones I care about actually reading it. Right. On the plane. Yeah. Like, it has a big old X over water. So, like, the information is there for them to find if they follow the rules. But again. <laughs> but nobody ever does that. But so that's, it would make sense right. to put that in Right. <laughs> so, in nerve, inadvertent slide. What? Inadvertent <laughs> Inadvertent. Sure. Let's go with that. Slide deployment. Smart handle at the English Wikipedia. The unintentional full or partial deployment of an emergency slide is expensive and dangerous, according to the International Air Transport Association. Inadvertent slide deployment costs the airline industry more than $20 million per year and can result in serious fatal injury. Speaking of which, it's yeah. not really inadvertent. It was intentional. Mm. Um, did you see, I'd say maybe a couple of months ago, I think it was in Chicago, um, that a United flight had a passenger open an overwing exit. I did like, see that. during taxi. Yeah. I didn't see a video or anything, but, like, 
the slide would deploy, correct? Like it should. But if, I didn't see like I saw a picture. And I unless it was unless it was like a smaller plane with no oh that could have been with no slide at the sure. window because it w- it that's not the first time that's happened. Yeah. But actually with United <laughs> and at O'Hare. Of course. <laughs> of course. So. Um, yeah, but the last time that it happened, it was a bigger plane, so the slide did deploy. Because I'm assuming they can't just, like, keep driving with it, right? Like, that'll... They can. Ugh. Because it's on the other, like, it's if they, especially, I think the the slide is to the aft of yeah, the it, engine, so I don't think... So I it, guess if the engine would just blow it up. Right. So it's not like it would drag. Okay, I, yeah. was, I was worried about the drag in the first Right, time, yeah. Okay, we got there. Continue. Yeah, we're good, good. So... So testing, according to Lufthansa Technic, under current regulations, scape slides must be removed from the aircraft and vetted in a workshop every three years. The slides must be able to inflate within two to ten seconds, depending on the aircraft size, and checked at overpressure to ensure the slide can endure maximum, or sorry, extreme loads. That's what she said. And then damage to escape slides. Shortly after the infamous incident in which JetBlue flight attendant quit his job, grabbed two beers, and exited the aircraft via the escape slide An in 2011. Icon. Honestly, like, I understand why he did I've it. I've been there. I thought about it. <laughs> I always tell my boyfriend, I'm like, should I? If, I, if I'm going to go, this is how I'm going to go. I'm like, and um, you're going to take care of me because I don't think I'd be able to work as a flight attendant anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> Hard no. <laughs> so this happened in 2011. Aviation Week interviewed an emergency equipment servicing technician with SR Technics in Zurich who detailed different types of damage to escape slides. We see a lot of damage to evacuation systems caused by people who don't always follow or follow the correct procedures after a... Inadvertent. Thank you. Or a scheduled deployment. Damage also happens when people such as the catering staff and others who service the aircraft accidentally deploy the slide. We have seen slides come in with tears, punctures, and even tire marks from having been run over by forklifts. (laughs) Uh, So this seemingly simple but highly complex aircraft evacuation slide system is FAA required. And I think that's it. Um, yeah. I would also like to add that the bags that people take with them in an evacuation that are apparently more important than people's lives. Oh, yeah. Also, oh, yeah. tear the slide and then no one else can get out. So just so, food for thought. Okay, so as of March 22 of this year, in 2022, 205 accidents or incidents, incidents have resulted in 100 fatalities, 34 at least 200 fatalities and eight at at least 300 fatalities and four incidents at at least 500 fatalities. That's insane. That's a lot. That's a lot. So five years after pioneering the pioneering flight of the Wright brothers on December 1903, Thomas Selfridge became the first fatality of powered flight while flying as a passenger with Orville Wright during a demonstration of the Wright Model A at Fort Myer, Virginia. On September 17, 1908. In 1909, Eugene Lefebvre, I'm assuming, 
uh, was the first pilot killed in a powered airplane, while this first fatal mid-air collision occurred in on June 1912 near Douai, France, killing the pilot of each aircraft since the deaths of those early aviation pioneers. The scale of fatal aircraft, aircraft accidents has increased in proportion to the size and capacity of the airplanes. So the greatest number of fatalities involving one aircraft occur in 1985 when 520 people died uh, in the crash of Japan Airlines Flight 123. And it was a scheduled domestic Japan Airlines flight from Tokyo to Osaka. And on August 12, 1985, a Boeing 747SR operating this route suffered a sudden decompression 12 minutes into the flight and crashed in the area of Mount kind of butcher this, Mount Tagamagara. Tagamahara? Tag- sure. Takamagahara. There we go. There we go. Okay. And just and this is just 32 minutes later after taking off from Tokyo, the crash site was on Osutaka Ridge near the Mount Osutaka. So it looks like the Aircraft Accident Investigation Commission in Japan concluded that agreeing with investigators from the U.S. National Transport Safety Board that the rapid decompression was caused by faulty repair by Boeing technicians after a tail strike incident during a landing at Osaka Airport in 1978 as JLA Flight 115. The rear bulkhead of the plane had been repaired with an impro- with an improperly installed doubler plate, compromising the plane's airworthiness. Cabin pressure station continued to expand and contract the improperly repaired bulkhead until the day of the accident. When the faulty repair failed, it was causing a rapid decompression that ripped off a large portion of the tail and caused the loss of the hydraulic controls of the entire plane. The aircraft, which was configured with increased economy class seating, was carrying 524 people, all 15 crew members, and 505 of the 509 passengers died in the accident. Some of the passengers survived the initial crash, but died of their injuries hours later while awaiting rescue. Surpassing the fatalities of all Nippon Airways Flight 58, which crashed 14 years earlier with 162 passengers, it is the deadliest single aircraft accident both in Japan and global aviation history. So it looks like everybody, well, like except for five people, survived yeah. the, cra- the actual crash. That's insane. Then the other one was the one in uh, Tenerife. And that was KLM and Pan Am. And that was in 1977. And this is where we get into the God complex of Mm. the pilots. I will say I do have some nice pilot friends, but they're far and few in between. Yeah. By and large, it's rough. (laughs) Right. So the Tenerife Airport disaster occurred on on 27th of March of 1977 when two Boeing 747 passenger jets collided on the runway at Los Rodeos Airport, now Tenerife North Airport, on the Spanish island of Tenerife. The collision occurred when KLM Flight 4805 initiated its takeoff run while Pan Am Flight 1736 was still on the runway. The impact and resulting fire killed everyone on board KLM 4805 and most of the occupants in Pan Am 1736 
with only 61 survivors in the front section of the aircraft, resulting in 583 fatalities. The disaster is one of the deadliest in aviation. The ter a terrorist incident at Gran Canaria Airport had caused many flights to be diverted to Los Rodeos, including the two aircrafts involved in the accident. The airport quickly became congested with parked airplanes blocking the only, run the only taxiway and forcing departing aircraft to taxi on the runway instead. Patches of thick fog were drifting across the airfield, hence visibility was greatly reduced for pilots and the control tower. Subs the subsequent investigation by Spanish authorities concluded that the primary cause of the accident was that the KLM's captain decision to take off in the mistaken belief that a takeoff clearance from air control had been issued. Dutch investigators placed the greater emphasis on mutual misunderstanding in radio communications between KLM and ATC. It should be noted, have you watched the ATC mm -hmm. like recordings of that? Because yeah. they're all over YouTube and it's they very clearly did not have clearance to go. No. But it was a shit show all around. Exactly. But ultimately, ultimately, KLM admitted that their crew was responsible for the accident and the airline agreed to financially compensate the relatives of all the victims. The disaster had lasting influence on the industry, highlighting in particular the vital importance of the using a standardized phraseology and radio communications Cockpit procedures were also reviewed, contributing to the establishment, to the establishment of crew, re crew resource management. Ha! Huh. Hmm. That doesn't that doesn't work. Hmm. <laughs> it's a fundamental part of an airline pilot's training. It does not work. They've been trying. Can't tell them what to do though. I know. It's hard to be God. <laughs> British. Air Tours Flight 28, also known as Flight 328, was an international flight, passenger flight, in which caught fire before takeoff at Manchester Airport, England, in, tw in the 22nd of August in 1985, with the loss of 55 lives. So the aircraft, a Boeing 737-236 registered GBLJL, previously named Goldfinch, but at the time of the accident was named River Oren, was flown by British Air Tours, a wholly subsidiary Sure, thank you. Of British Airways had 131 passengers and six crew on the manifest. During takeoff, a loud thump was heard and takeoff aborted. An engine failure had generated a fire and the captain ordered evacuation. The air, the the engine failure was later traced to an incorrectly repaired combustor, causing the turbine disc to shatter and puncture the wing fuel tanks. There were 82 survivors. Most of the deaths were due to smoke inhalation, not burns. Aviation analysis, nope, an aviation analyst said the accident was a defining moment in history of civil aviation because it brought the industry-wide changes to the seating layout near the emergency exits, fire assistant seating covers, floor lighting, fire assistant wall and ceiling panels, and more fire extinguishers and clear evacuation rules. So the aircraft turned off the runway onto a short taxiway called Link D and came to a full stop facing the northwest. Evacuation efforts began immediately, but several difficulties were encountered. The purser, who was the crew senior flight attendant, tried to open the right front, yeah, the right front exit door about 10 seconds before the aircraft stopped. 
but it jammed due to a design fault in the emergency slide system, and he abandoned attempts, attempts to open it. After about 25 seconds, the person opened up the left front door and successfully deployed the escape slide. At this time, the first two fire engines arrived. One began showering the fuselage and the open door with foam to prevent fire from spreading to the door and the slide as passengers were evacuating and to provide cooling to protect the passengers still inside. When the second fire engine arrived, the first concentrated on the burning jet fuel and the left engine. Ooh, so they were trying to open up the right side because the one that was burning was the left engine. Damn. The second sprayed foam over the fuselage and the open door. During this time, the number four stewardess, Joanna Toff, had kept passengers out of the forward alley to area to allow the purser time to open the door. When the left side door was open, existing, exiting passengers jammed themselves into the narrow 57 centimeter wide, that's two and a half, 22 and a half inches passway between the two forward galley bulkheads. Toff bodily, yeah, Toff bodily pulled the passengers out of out of out one at a time until she cleared the jam. Meanwhile, the purser had resumed working on the right door, and he successfully opened the door fully and deployed the escape slide about one minute after the plane had stopped. Sixteen passengers and Toff escaped through the left front door, one of whom was unconscious. Toff dragged her out. The purser and thirty-four passengers made their escape through the right front door. So there was also an overwing evacuation. It looks like some more difficulties were accounted at the overwing exits. The left overwing exit was blocked by smoke and flames. The passengers seated at the right overwing exit have difficulty understanding how to operate the hatch. And this is why you need to pay attention if you're in the emergency exit. Like, please don't sit there if you're not going to look at the card. Just don't do it. I think one of my biggest pet peeves is, like, when they sit there and they're like, oh, I have this much space. And, like, I'm going to have, like, some drinks, especially on those Vegas flights. Mm. And I'm like, I wish I could tell you I can't serve you because you're on the exit row. Yeah. I feel like that should be a thing. On this note, though, I think that this correlates to a not super recent but relatively recent incident um, with an airline that had an engine fire Mm -hmm. before takeoff. And I don't think that it's common knowledge for everyone that engines have a fire suppression system. Right. So just because you see an engine fire does not mean start evacuating. And right. I think that that's like a huge thing that people should really know because it causes more problems than it solves. And, and that is why I tell people, do not open these windows unless you're told to do so by a flight attendant right. or your life is in immediate danger. Right. And that's something that needs to be on our briefing. Yeah. That's just me. Um, so... At the time, there was no requirement that XRO passengers re- receive a briefing on how and when to open the hatch. Well, there that. it is. Once the 22 kilograms, so about 48 pounds, latch hatch was released, it fell inward onto the passenger seat <laughs> next to it, trapping her in. Oh my god! Sorry, it's not funny. <laughs> no, it's, it's not, not funny. Two pass, but I mean, like this is how. This is exactly why the rules are made and how they are made, how they become about. Right. Which I think is why I get so frustrated when people don't listen exactly it's like there's it's not that we don't want you to sit there it's not that we know that you as like a mom of three kids cannot sit there because your first priority is not going to be opening my door right it's going to be going back to your children anyway so um two passengers lifted the hatch and put it on the seat 
in the ne in the next row back, making the seat available for use 45 seconds after the aircraft had stopped. Oof. Once the hatch had been removed, passengers still encountered difficulties getting into getting to and using this exit. The exit row seats allowed only 27 centimeters, which is about 10 inches, 10.5 inches, to pass through. The armrest between those seats remained down, and the exit was directly over the seat, requiring passengers to maneuver awkwardly to escape. Passengers in the rear of the aircraft were panicking as smoke eventually flames, I'm sorry, as smoke and eventually flames filled the hot cabin at about the same time the right overwing exit was opened. Passengers crawled over the seat backs to get to the right overwing exit as well as the two front exits. Some survivors told investigators that the aisle had become blocked with bodies. And that's actually something that we really need to emphasize is the fact that people don't die in the initial crash. I mean, some do, but most of them don't die in the initial crash. They crash or they die when they panic and don't listen to the flight attendants yeah. evacuating the aircraft. This caused jamming at all exits and the seat over which the overwing exit was located failed in such a way that the seat back collapsed forward, causing a further obstruction. A man who had been sitting in, in seat 16C was found dead lying across his seat and the investigators were unsure whether the seat back collapsed and trapped him. A 14-year-old boy was found laying across on top of the man from 16C by firefighters five and a half minutes after the aircraft stopped. Stopped. He was alive, suffering only superficial burns to his hand. He was the last of the 27 survivors to escape through the exit and the last evacuee to survive the accident. Most of the 38 bodies found were, were found clustered around over the overwing exit. This exit was the first exit available to the 76 passengers seated behind it or even with it and near and the nearest exit for 100 passengers. I keep trying to roll through here. <laughs> Fire and the loss of aft exits. So the fuel had been spilling from the left wing from the moment the first loud noise was heard. The fuel had ignited on contact with the flames from the hole in the engine combustion chamber as the aircraft began to decelerate on the runway. When the aircraft stopped, the fuel was still leaking from a 42 square inch opening at a rate of 450 to 680 liters per minute and that's about a hundred and between 118 and 179 US gallons so that was feeding a growing fire by by about this time the fire had already penetrated the aluminum alloy skin of the aircraft below the level of the floor in the passenger compartment the AAIB estimated that it took between five seconds before and 13 seconds after the aircraft stopped for the fire to penetrate the fuselage skin. Passengers seated on the left side of the aisle and f and tore the, the rear felt in 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 felt intense radiant heat from the fire and were very impatient to escape. Many of them standing and moving into the aisles while the aircraft was moving. I just... This is insane because only five minutes later and 38 people were already dead. Mm -hmm. As the aircraft began its right turn off the runway approximately 10 seconds before it stopped, one of the two flight attendants in the rear of the aircraft, probably number three stewardess, opened the right rear door and deployed the emergency chute, but no one escaped through that door because it was blocked by smoke and flames. 
when the aircraft came to a stop, it was facing the northwest and a light wind of six to seven knots was blowing from the west carrying the dense smoke and occasionally flames through that door. When the door was first opened, the aircraft had been facing into the wind and the aircraft and the exit had been clear. But why did she open it if they were still moving? I mean, at that point, and it's 19, what did I say, 1985? They probably didn't. I guess they didn't know things. They didn't, yeah. But you're moving. Like, where do you think you're going to go? I mean, if it's not moving that fast, you would think that you could slowly send people out, maybe? I don't know. I don't know, but maybe she can't. door, like, you still have the engine blown, so, like, your slide's not going to stay straight, you know what I mean? Right, but, I mean, at the same time, I guess it's like that fight or flight, you know? Yeah. Whereas, like, what that kicks in, your reaction, and you're either going to freeze or try to do something about it. I don't know. So when the left door was open, this created an airflow from the front of the aircraft to the rear and through the, yep, and through the rear of the door, which likely contained the smoke to the rear of the aircraft. When the right wing, right over wing exit and the right front exit opened, this flow was lost and the entire cabin rapidly filled with smoke. The left rear exit remained closed. So fire penetration... <laughs> I keep trying to scroll with my fingers on my laptop. Uh, oh, so I was... That was, like, side note. I was drawing this morning on the plane. Yeah. And I needed to erase stuff and I wanted to, like, click on my sheet stop (laughs) to undo what I just did (laughs) I need help (laughs) so the fire penetrated into the rear portion of the passenger cabin through the floor and along the left wall within one minute of the aircraft stopping accident investigators said that this quick penetration that's what she said of the fire into the cabin appeared to conflict markedly. <laughs> appeared to what? <laughs> what were those words? I don't know. <laughs> Neither. <laughs> what did it really say? It said, this quick penetration of fire into the cabin appeared to conflict markedly with the air oh, transport and yeah, 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 conflict yeah. markedly uh, with the air transport industry expectations for this type of fire which at the time expected one to three minutes would be available for evacuation before the fire would be in a position to directly threaten occupants. When the firefighters determined that no more passengers would leave the aircraft unassisted, they entered the passenger cabin with fire hoses and attempted to extinguish the blaze inside the aircraft, but fighting the fire inside the aircraft had become futile and unsafe. One firefighter was slightly injured when an explosion threw him out the door and down onto the tarmac. This <laughs> the cause of the explosion was not determined, but heat induced overpressure and rupture of an aerosol spray can spray can or therapeutic oxygen cylinder are suspected. I mean that makes sense. And that's why you can't have your own oxygen on a plane. Exactly. Okay, so this is the last part of it. So the um, toxic smoke and fire caused the deaths of 53 passengers and two cabin crew. Oh, the girls in the back didn't make it. Because they couldn't get out there to I know. Two of them, 48 of them from smoke inhalation, 78 passengers and four crew escaped with 15 people sustaining serious injuries. One passenger, a man rescued 33 minutes after the start of the fire, 
was found unconscious and in the aisle, but died in the hospital six, six days later from injuries to his lungs resulting in pneumonia. That's insane. I'm going to add this onto the thing, onto the episode notes, so you guys can take a look at it. There's more, but that's insane. I hope I never have to do an evacuation. Mm. I mean, you know. Yeah. This was a heavy episode. It was a lot. Yeah. Are you reading any books? Um, I'm wrapping one up now. Um, I think I have like a few chapters left of uh, Book Lovers. Ooh, nice. Sorry, I was I was trying to hit the, the buttons again. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I am not reading a book right now because I just finished the eighth or the the fifth book. What did I tell you? The fifth. There's the H one. Whatever kid the H one is. No, it's Francesca. I lied. It was that one. It was that. Yeah, one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of the Bridgerton series. Um, and then I've been going to sleep to H.G. Wells sci-fi collection like this yeah. whole collection because it's being read by David Tennant and Jason Isaacs and some mm-hmm. other people that I like um but that's it are you watching anything fun I restarted Grey's Anatomy mm-hmm. again for like the 1700th time I mean it's some if you know it you kind of just it's like one of those comfort shows yeah you know? that's Downton Abbey for me or mm-hmm. The Office or Parks and Rec I'm not watching anything right now oh I did start last night when you went to sleep I went to, or not went to, because I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> Do you remember that um, one? It was like, it's a true crime documentary. But that girl that was kidnapped in Portugal at that resort. Uh, I think it was like Madeline something. Yeah, 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 yeah. The little girl, and she was on vacation with her family. Yeah, yeah. And they like left her alone in a room and then supposedly checked on her and suddenly she was gone. Yeah, that yeah. Yeah, so that there's was a wild one. So it's probably on your Netflix now because that's where I start watching that's last night. <laughs> that's fine. I do all the true crime anyway. Um, and then that's it. I really, I went to see Downton Abbey with Uncle Jay. Was it good? It was good. I cried a little bit. Oh, a lot. <laughs> all right. So I guess that's it for me and for Olivia. Thank you for being here today. Of course. Anytime you want to come back, you're welcome. Thank you, ma'am. And everyone, stay safe, fly safe, and look at you. Oh, yeah. Don't forget to um, follow us on Instagram at the Flight Attendant Podcast and on Twitter at Stay Safe, Fly Safe. You can email us at the Flight Attendant Podcast at gmail.com and all that other stuff. Listen to us on Amazon and Spotify. And-